Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Are you paying down old credit card debt? I know I am. A personal loan could be your solution, guys. Loans usually come with a fixed monthly payments, making them a simple way to help pay off your credit cards. Plus, loans usually have lower interest rates than credit cards do, and Credit Karma can help you find the best option for yourself. Uh, Credit Karma uses your credit data to find loan offers that are personalized to you, so you can have a better idea of what loan amount you are getting approved for. Credit Karma will even show you your chances of approval, so you can choose between loan Um, loan offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. Comparing loan offers on Credit Karma is 100% free, won't affect your credit score, and could save you money. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. Again, that's creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello on a beautiful Tuesday and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. I'm joined as always by producer Jihei Wiley and Armani Buckets. How are we doing on this glorious Tuesday? Well, you know what? It is really, really hot. I don't know if you guys were able to enjoy the day yesterday. I wasn't, but I'm going to enjoy the day today because it's supposed to be like what? 72 is the high, I think, Mm. but I think it's going to be like more, I don't know. It felt like 80 plus degrees yesterday. So I'm, I'm definitely going to enjoy the day today. Maybe we'll run into Ben Simmons on the strand (laughs) (laughs) now that his season is over. Yeah. What a disappointing season that was not only for Ben Simmons, but for the Nets and the Lakers. We'll touch on that now as we get to today's headlines. Well, the Dodgers beat the Arizona Diamondbacks four to nothing last night as Walker Bueller threw his first career shutout. Wow, amazing, right? When you think, think about the career he's had so far, yeah. Uh, well, Bueller threw a season-high ten strikeouts in a three-hitter as the Dodgers won for the eleventh time in their last thirteen games. The Dodgers have the best record in baseball at twelve and fourteen. What do we think about this team, guys? They're very good. By the way, 12 and 4, obviously. Sorry, sorry, that's okay. I was going to say that. No, no but, uh, you know, 12 and 4. Uh, this is the, uh, you know, t- type of start that I expected for a team like this. They are, um, you know, listen, they are a very deep team. The one problem or the one, um, you know, hole that I saw potentially with this team was the pitching. That has not been the case. Again, not, I mean, I, I wasn't concerned about Walker Bueller, but, you know, cu- curious to see how Clayton Kershaw would start the season. Uh, but l- listen, pitching has not been a problem for this team. This team is deep. This team is talented. They are what they thought, they are what we thought that they would be, as the late grade Dennis Green said. Uh, 12 and 4, the best team in baseball right now. So, yeah, and listen, they, they are a team that can always make adjustments or tweaks or make trades and i don't think that they will have to but yeah right now no shock that the dodgers are the best team in baseball right now i mean you just hit the nail on the head i thought that the pitching was going to be an issue right until maybe when they can add to their roster a little bit but they are proving me wrong i love it i I love the fact that the pitching is is literally coming up to the mound right now right and everybody's uh doing what they got to do so uh yeah i i foresee i mean 
Vegas is normally not wrong. So I'm, I'm excited about this Dodgers team. Can't wait to go to Chavez Ravine to Blue Heaven and uh, watch them win some more games. Yeah, but not only are the Dodgers a very good team, the other team in town, well, technically in town, you know, they're not really Los Angeles, but they call themselves Los Angeles. I'm, by the way, I am never, ever going to call them the Los Angeles that, Saints. That's a I good point. That, that's they're a very good They're not even in LA. Point. Yeah, like, unless someone says it on TV, like, it, it's not as jarring when they first changed the name, but I will never um, call them the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah. Uh, because it just doesn't make sense for me because if you live in Los Angeles County, uh, depending on traffic, it takes you at least at least an hour, maybe two hours. So that's not a Los Angeles team. I know traffic is very bad here, but it should not take, if you are in Los Angeles County, should not take two hours to go to a game. It is a very convenient uh, train ride. I've taken the train ride to a game from Union Station in downtown, but uh, no, but but I guess the lo- larger point, which we will get into, is that, that that team is actually, in my view, a playoff team. They can actually contend this uh, season. And by the way, they should. They have two of the top five players in baseball. So that should have always been their goal. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll see how the Angels do. Definitely. I mean, wild card minimum, it, I think, should be their to. expectation, yeah. right? That, exactly. that, that should definitely just at least be their expectation. Well, Trevor Bauer has filed suit against the San Diego woman who accused him of sexual assault, claiming defa- uh, defamation while seeking unspecified monetary and punitive damages. We're coming up on one year since Bauer has been taken to the mound for the Dodgers. What are the chances we see him back in a Dodgers uniform this season? You know, a lot of the guys that we've talked to have said that he will play baseball again. Now, whether or not it will be for the Dodgers is a question that, you know, I, I don't know the answer to we talked to Michael Duarte he thinks he will be back on the mound for the Dodgers Nick Hamilton agrees what we can say with some semblance of certainty is that he's basically been cleared he's been cleared by the legal system at some point Major League Baseball has to come out and say okay whether you serve your basically your one year suspension or we're gonna put on some more time but like He's going to be allowed to continue his career. Now, who's going to give him that chance? This lawsuit's very... Um, first of all, I don't think Trevor Bauer should put be putting himself in the headlines, be putting himself in a position to go back to court. But the thing that he is really stressing here with this lawsuit is, I should be able to resume my career. This whole... Um, leave of absence that keeps getting extended week after week if i'm the dodgers i'm going to major league baseball and it's like cut it out already whether he can come back or not we need to move on and the dodgers know what they are going to do whether they are going to allow him to come back or whether they are going to cut him and again they're going to have to basically i think unless someone picks him up pay his salary it continues to be a cloud lingering over him because it is a Dodger story because technically right now he he's is still on the Dodgers. He's on the Dodgers. So to me, I don't know why Major League Baseball has not come out and said, here's our ruling. He has been suspended or he's not. We got to move on at some point. Yeah, and I think that that's the problem with Major League Baseball right now, right? Like they're just... At that standstill. Granted, I get it. They have a lot of things on their plate, but this has been over a year in the making. It's like, yeah, you know, if 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 the courts have moved on, you need to start moving on as well. Whether that be, I mean, and I don't agree with anything that he's done, so I'm okay yeah. with dropping him. Um, no offense to all those 
ba Bauer fans out there or to Trevor Bauer, but I just, you know, cut your losses and move forward. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Major League Baseball needs to do. I don't, I don't know about anybody else. No, but, but I, I think that is what we, we, we have to come to a decision yeah. and move on because they keep extending his leave of by one week, one week, one like. This investigation in terms of the legal system is done. So I don't know what kind of investigation that Major League Baseball is conducting, but we all got to move on at some point. I will tell you this, it's really, really slow. Well, before this season, the Lakers and Nets were the heavy favorite to face each other in the NBA Finals. One website even famously wrote, can we just fast forward to June already? Well, guys, the Lakers and Nets finished the season winning the same amount of playoff games. None. Um, after the Nets were swept out of the first round by the Boston Celtics, bringing out them broom Celtics, um, is the collapse of both the Lakers and the Nets in the same season. One of the biggest surprises or disappointments in the NBA history. I think so only because, listen, we've had one team surprise us. We've, we've had, you know, if you want to go back to the Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, Kobe, Lakers, that was one team. This would have been the equivalent of not only the Lakers that season, but also the Heat both collapsing and not making the playoffs or getting swept. I mean, to have both of these teams, and it wasn't just the fan bases out there. It wasn't just this one website. It was the NBA GMs. It was the it was all the casinos in Vegas, all the odds makers to see both of these teams collapse and finish the year the way that they did. Amazing. I can't believe it. I, I really don't think there's any precedent to it to see both of the favorites going into the season not win a single playoff game. That's kind of ridiculous when, when you put it into perspective. From the Nets standpoint, they're going to basically run the same team back. It sounds like they're, they're hoping to get Ben Simmons back and then run it back. I don't know if that's a good strategy considering the fact that it doesn't look like they're close to, to winning a yeah. title, but... I don't know what else the alternative is, and Kyrie is now a free agent, so they might oh, give him like a three, four-year deal, which is, <laughs> I mean, good luck. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. There, there was also a um, there was a post I think about their friendship being kind of ruined, right? Kyrie and Katie's uh, friendship being a little bit on the on the first now. Um, so. Well, Katie said it wasn't. Katie yeah. basically was just like, "No, we're fine. Everything's okay. Like, stop with the rumors or anything like that." I mean, I think that this was. This was more of a collapse, in my personal opinion, on the Nets part and on the Lakers. Because the Lakers, they just didn't mesh the whole entire year. You know, um, it, it's not like they didn't have a player, right? What the was Nets the issue with the uh, Nets? I mean, first of all, the Nets, I, I, we didn't think that they'd be making that blockbuster trade for James Harden. And like that was like, one of those like addition by subtraction. I think James Harden didn't fit. Uh, but the whole Ben Simmons saga, which we'll touch on shortly, uh, so what what was the problem with the Nets? I think both of those teams just collectively collectively did not fit. The pieces did, did not fit. I agree, but I think that the the Lakers didn't fit a little bit more so by dropping all those other glue guys and I then see. having that and and adding Russell into the mix yeah. and trying to make every all those pieces fit versus the Nets. At least they had those two initial pieces due to COVID and yeah. everything. They you know and all the regulations. Kyrie couldn't play. It's not like he was. It's not like he was hurt. He wasn't Kawhi, that was, and he yeah. wasn't hurt. It was one of those like he just couldn't play because the NBA, the league, and the um, and his own, you know, state wouldn't let him play. So sure. that's they would have been fine had there been no regulations. We wouldn't even be talking about this, I don't think, because they would have gotten into a flow. They would have gotten into you know some kind of uh, 
situation so with each other. So I didn't think about that. Like, generally speaking, when you get swept out of the first round and you're a low seed, you're like, why would you run that back? Well, we don't know what they look like with Ben Simmons, and we don't really know what they look like. Full health at the beginning of the season. Kyrie's there 100%. KD's 100%. Ben Simmons, again, we don't know what he's going to be. I I kind of I don't know what the options are. They have to almost run it back unless they want to do something else. In, is Steve Nash going to come back? I think he will, but yeah. Kevin, tough, Dur- tough Kevin Durant said that he wants Steve Nash. That's yeah. I mean, no offense, but I would. I mean, he has all the faith in the world in those guys. So yeah. I, I I don't think he's a, did a bad job this season. I think he did a, 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 as good as he possibly could this yeah. season. Well, Ben Simmons, speaking of, was um, expected to be back on the court during the Nets series against the Celtics, but was nowhere to be found. We might be seeing him on the strand soon, um, <laughs> as Armand said earlier. At this point, what does the future hold for Simmons? If he's your teammate, can you even trust him? Um, and also, he hasn't seen the court in a year, and everyone is taking shots in him right now. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you watched any of the postseason on TV, whether it was Stephen A. Smith or Reggie Miller or Jalen Rose, like everyone took shots at him. And um, you know, the problem is he's not speaking for himself. The problem is we we don't really know what's happening. I know a lot of leaked coverage is saying it's not just physical; it's mental. At some point in time, though, he needs to speak up for himself. He looks extremely poor right now. When you go back to the way things finished in Philadelphia, to his time with Brooklyn, to... By the way, who put it out there that he was going to be playing during this series? I mean, if he was going to be ruled out for the season, this is not a part of the conversation. Zion, for example, there's no one saying he's going to be back for Game 5 and then he doesn't show up. So... This situation has been handled so poorly, but he's just getting killed right now. I The Zion thing, though, is why I don't give Ben Simmons so much slack, because Zion is doing 360 windmills That's in warm-ups, and nobody's really saying, like, <laughs> where are you at? I mean, some people are, but with Simmons, it's like, it's a brand new team. His back is whatever. I don't know if I fully believe that, but it's like throwing him into a playoff setting in a game four to me, it's like, whatever. Yeah. But we have to keep the same energy for the other guys if we're going to do it to this. I feel bad for Simmons at this mm. point. I, this oh, point. I do not. <laughs> I do not. This kid has had every opportunity in the possible world to be on two different teams that, that are taking you just being like, you know what? We have faith. You're going to you're gonna turn it around. Ben, you, you need to fix it. I don't know, like, go to go to a professional, go to, like, if it's mental, that's fine. I, like, I'm very supportive when it comes to stuff like that. Then go and get help. Go and figure it out. Um, yeah, all those people that are taking shots at him, it's deservedly so because pe- this is the dream job. This yeah. is the dream job to play a sport for money. I get it. It's still a job. It's still... You know, you still have to go out there performing. You still have to do certain things and, uh, you know, certain things that we're never, ever going to understand. But this is the dream job, man. Like, if I could trade places with Ben Simmons, I 100% would. I would be on that court right now. I would not care. I would be like, you know what? Shoot me up. Figure it out. Let's mm. like, if, if I was able to play. Now, if he's mentally not able to play, then fine. Go and get your, get your stuff situated. Figure it out. Just, I don't know. But, but we, I think I also grew up in a different generation where it's like, you know, it's time to figure stuff out, um, you know, move on, move forward from this. I don't know. It just and it also doesn't seem like he wants to be there. Well, that's the other thing. Remember, like, there was a clip of him at practice in Philadelphia and he's got the, his warm ups or his sweatpants and he's got a cell phone. And I think Doc told him, 
get the hell off the yeah, court. Yeah. Like, leave. Yeah. Get out of here. Like, he didn't want to be there. Yeah. I mean, when you have your phone with you. <laughs> during practice. During practice. I mean, you're, come on. Like, dude, dude come on. Like, yeah. Terrible I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I just don't think he wants to be there. I, I, I think he needs to just maybe take some time off and yeah. figure, figure his stuff out. Um, well, less than a week after retiring as head coach at Villanova, Jay Wright is leaving the door open to someday coaching in the NBA. Kershawn, Jay Will, and Max, which you can hear on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio, said that Wright is um, not looking to coach right now, but said, I'd be lying if he said he hadn't thought about coaching in the NBA. If you're the Lakers, do you go after Jay Wright? That's right. So he was on the air this morning on the Keyshawn Jay Will and Max show and Jay Wright basically said I'm leaving the door open um you know I've always thought about coaching it does seem like he wants to take a year off that being said so he said that publicly but if you're the Lakers do you make a push for Jay Wright I say why not I don't know if their list is already set in stone if that's basically a coach who's coached in the league before Jay Wright has been on those Team USA staff. So he he does have experience. Two-time national championship coach. Um, at least he walks in with credibility of leading a team multiple times to a championship. Just came off of a uh, run at the Final Four. Um, listen, mean, they need a big-name coach, I think. Because I think if you don't have a big-name coach, they're just going to be viewed as someone LeBron handpicked or something like that. Right. Um, I mean, there's no harm in fishing. There's no harm in putting that bait out there and seeing if he hooks. But I just think, I think you're right, Arash. I think he's going to chill for a year, which he totally deserves it. I think he's going to just maybe enjoy his life, enjoy his family for a little bit. Yeah. No. This could be a a unique summer though, Buckets, in terms of, okay, like the Lakers job will be open. I don't think the Nets job will be open, but there could be some prime jobs. So if you are Jay Wright and you do want to coach in the league, and by the way, if you want to give coaching in the league a shot, the opportunity, and despite what people say, the opportunity to coach LeBron James is still a very enticing one, I think. Jay Wright is more than qualified. I was going through and seeing how many college to NBA coaches there are right now. The only one that I can see is the Bulls coach, Billy Donovan. And I mean, it, it's it's a transition. It's sure, tough because it's we saw that last season with John Beeline from Michigan. He he jumped to yeah. Cleveland. That was a tough. He didn't <laughs> yeah, make rough. it through half the season. So yeah. I don't know if it's like a seamless transition, even if you're a legendary college coach to go and coach NBA players, especially LeBron James. And um, everybody has to realize, too, that the the script is flipped on this one, right? Mm. College coaches make more than their players because players aren't getting paid anything and vice versa happens in the NBA. You know, LeBron James is making way more, you know, than um, than his whole entire coaching staff. So, you know, you're going to have to, like, coach those egos and figure all that stuff out and you know, so, some guys can't do that, and they're used to, you know, these are my guys. I'm bringing them in. They're, yeah. you know, they're going to be under my tutelage and actually teaching them. That's yeah. another thing as well. You're teaching those kids on that level, on the collegiate level, and in the NBA, it's a totally different, right? So, yeah. um, I, I don't know. I, I personally, this is one one of the reasons why I think the main reason why I think that Coach K did not leave because he had the he opportunity was so to coach close Kobe with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. he had and, an opportunity and, to coach Kobe, and that was the, they had such a bond with Team USA. But Team USA is different, right? It's a short term yeah. thing, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, 
I really thought Coach K would take that job, and it was a beautiful story how, you know, Cameron Crazy's, you know, said, you can't leave us, Coach K, and he came back. Yeah, lots, lots of letters were thrown upon that yeah. desk um, during that time. Well, last headline, the NFL draft begins Thursday, guys, in Vegas. I'm jealous because Arash is going to be there, and I'm not. Um, but um, players and fans are already starting to descend on Sin City for the weekend. Arash headed out there tomorrow, as I just said. What are you most looking forward to about the draft being held in Vegas? You know, the whole setup with the draft in Vegas, it has really become one of the signature events on the NFL's calendar. So, uh, you know, for them to close down the strip, for them to put a stage on top of the Bellagio Fountain, in Vegas for the commissioner to be announcing the picks in front of Caesars Palace. Just the pomp and the pageantry. I mean, it, it's really amazing when you think of how far the uh, draft has come. So I'm very much looking forward to what uh, this will look like. We've seen pictures of what it will look like, but to see all those fans pack the strip, the draft picks to be on this, again, stage that is set up on the Bellagio Fountains and for the fountains to go off, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, I. if you've ever even been to Vegas, just to see that scene across from um, at Bellagio for the fountains is yeah. phenomenal in its own right. To have a stage out there and to be able to walk <laughs> on right. it, that's going to be amazing. That's another reason why I'm super jealous <laughs> that you're going and I can't go. So, no, it's gonna um, be good. yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for you. But yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, there doing the show there uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, uh, yeah, just really looking forward to going out there for the uh, draft. All right, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, speaking of the draft, we will hear from Chargers general manager Tom Telesco when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California and the fan in Las Vegas. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. Just as a reminder, if you want tickets to a future Kings or Galaxy game, call our hotline 310-400-0340. All right, now let's hear from Chargers General Manager Tom Telesco talking to the media before the uh, draft takes place on Thursday. Again, the uh, Chargers have the number 17th pick in the uh, draft. And the Chargers, by the way, will be throwing a draft fest at SoFi Stadium on Thursday with special guest Snoop Dogg. Uh, Parking lots open at 10 a.m. The party starts at 3 p.m. And again, the uh, Chargers have the 17th pick in the draft. What will they do with that pack? What will they do with that pick? Let's now hear from Chargers general manager Tom Telesco. So um, one of the themes for you, I guess always, but this year you just talked about, you know, wanting to build a complete football team and not just going to focus on the defense. Just how close do you feel like your roster is to being, to being there, to being a complete team? I mean, you never really know. Um, you just don't. You never really know. So, you know, we're just trying to use, use every avenue we can use right now to, to get there, whether it's trade, free agency, draft, post-draft. Um, so, but yeah, how close are we? I don't, you know, I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about possible trades, more trades this year than have you have you noticed that so far have you been there have been more calls among GMs about trading up or down? 
it seems like every year people say the same thing. Um, I don't know. Um, it seems about the same as every other year. Uh, I just don't think there's never really a consensus in the draft. There really shouldn't be. I mean, they're just opinions. So it's such a subjective process we go through to rank the players. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I think the fact that there may not be as many quarterbacks as usual, maybe that could play into it. Um, but uh, it's just hard to tell. And, and a, lot of the, a, lot of the straight, a lot of the trade stuff, I mean, you may make a couple calls this week just to set things up, but it really doesn't get going until, you know, when the draft starts, even when you're on the clock sometimes. You know, a player may get a little bit farther down than you thought. You know, a player, you know, team makes a move, so it's hard to tell. Being at 17 in the middle of the pack, do you kind of get antsy sometimes? Maybe you want to trade off or do you need more options being in the middle? Uh, you try not to get antsy about it. Um, sometimes you got to sit and wait and be patient. Um, sometimes. But I, th- I feel good with where we are, with the amount of players we have in that area. We should be in pretty good shape. With the number of day three picks that you have, does that give you enough capital that if you wanted to maybe try to get back into the second round or there's somebody you saw in three or four that you could package those and maybe use them? More than likely, probably not. Those seventh-round picks don't really carry a lot of uh, a lot of capital. You know, we got two sixes. Um, it doesn't get you real far. You know, those picks. So uh, it's always a possibility, but I don't know if it's realistic. How about moving back in the first to acquire acquire that second-round pick? Like, does that influence your decision-making process? Only like, picking seventeen and seventy-nine, having that gap. Would you sure? Yeah, we're always open to it. I mean, you'd have to go back pretty far to get it too. Um, but yeah, it's certainly it's something you have to look at. Um, you know, we're going in the draft with the first round pick and then a big gap until we get to the third. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I spent a lot of time going through scenarios and preparation as far as what could happen going up or down. Um, you know, going up this year without having a second round pick, a little, I don't know if that's really realistic. Yeah, I don't think we'll have to, anyways. Uh, but going back, certainly, certainly, I mean, it's an option every year. Um, certainly be an option this year to see, you know, how far, it, a lot of it comes down to who's on the board at that point, um, how far back do you want to go, how many players do you have left at that spot. Um, but there's a lot of benefits of moving down. Um, you know, pick up an extra pick, you may pick up an upgraded pick. Um, and you have to kind of weigh that versus who's there and kind of remind yourself that we're not like infallible as far as talent evaluators. I mean, we get, as many as we get right, we get wrong. I and mean, even in the first round, I mean, probably less than half of these guys will sign a second contract with their own team. So that's, that's not great odds. So you have to remember that we put all this work into these guys, but we're not going to be 100% right. So sometimes moving back, you know, is helpful. Um, at least you get a little something back for, um, for that process. But we'll kind of see. I mean, a lot of it plays out during the draft. I don't know where, you know, in front of us, I don't know exactly who's going where. I put a lot of work in trying to figuring it out. I'm like you guys. I don't really know. Um, I don't think anybody really knows. Uh, so we'll, we play it out, do a lot of different scenarios, um, and then uh, you know, let it ride from there. In terms of trying to predict, does this year feel more about what you mentioned? Obviously, the quarterback situation are you know no clear cut first overall pick that type of thing. Even the edge rushers that might go early, no one really knows what's going to happen. Does it feel more wide open to you this year, or is that just? I mean, just it'd be nice if like four quarterbacks went in the top fifteen, which I'm all for. Um, you know, I don't know where those guys fall. I really don't. So, but the rest of it's about the same to me. It just really is. I mean, it's uh, it doesn't feel any different than any other year. Getting back to more uh, more 
more of a like normal um, you know off season yep. with uh, COVID restrictions being less. Um, how has it been conducting some of these like in house uh, player visits? Has that been felt in this go around versus the prior years? Yeah, it's nice to have it back. Um, but we've also done more Zoom interviews this year than we did, say, three or four years ago. Um, it's just, it's been very efficient. Um, is it exactly like a face-to-face -face interview? Obviously not, but we can talk to more people that way. But, you know, we have brought players in for visits like we used to. Um, just having the scouts back in the building for meetings is, you know, it's kind of important too. Um, so the process is a little bit back to normal. Um, but we also learned a lot of things during the pandemic of how we work, how efficient we can be, and how we can make some changes to that, and we've kind of implemented that as well. Um, you know, these, these late round, seventh round picks and the free agent class, is it more normal now over the last two years with the pandemic, you didn't have as much tape on some of these guys that you would typically bring in as free agents. Are we getting back to a little bit more normalcy now where there's maybe more guys to keep an eye on? Uh, there's certainly a lot more numbers this year than last year, and that's really due to the, the pandemic, guys getting an, players getting an extra year of eligibility to play. So our numbers are really heavy, just the amount of players that the scouts have looked at. So our pool is much bigger. Um, obviously, yeah, some, some players, I mean, they've got like five years of like full, you know, playing, starting experience, which is, you know, you never used to see. Um, I've never seen so many 24-year-old prospects in the draft in my life. Um, usually that's a negative. Uh, it may not be so much of a negative now just because there's, there's, um, there's reasons why they, had, they stayed in school. So, um, but yeah, the numbers are high. Um, there's always a lot of you know tape to watch from players, but yeah, there's some players that we've seen for five years and you know done like three years of work on them, thinking they were going to come out you know three years ago, two years ago, and then now. So, um, but it should be a pretty strong effort, um, I think, across the league after the draft. But Tom, on the opposite line, especially that right side, you're missing some guys, you lost some guys. That the need you feel like you want to address in the draft to get some guys on the right side. Let's kind of see how it plays out. Um, you just never know how it's going to go. A little bit like free agency, you can only bring in what's going to be available. Same thing with the draft. We can only draft what's available. Um, we certainly aren't going to force anything. So um, we've got different, different plans in-house, different plans you know, looking forward if it wasn't from in-house. So kind of see how it plays out. Specifically with the offensive line, you know, obviously a prospect like Rashawn, super polished, technically sound. Then you have other prospects that you know, have all these traits, size, movement, but maybe the technical side of, the, of their game isn't there. How do you balance that when you're assessing, maybe specifically tackle prospects? Like when you have a guy that maybe super traits, you have all these you know, measurables that you want, but maybe the tape doesn't show the tackle. Yeah, that's why it's just so subjective how we do this. Um, and there's a lot of opinions involved, and you never have everybody with the exact same opinion on players. So like I said, it's more art than science when you, when you come down to it. I mean, we use, um, we use a lot of um, data to try and cross-check our eyes, but you know, in the end... You know, it's, it's kind of an art as you put this together. So, yeah, you have to weigh that. But even with, you know, Rashawn, it wasn't like he was a slam dunk guy. I mean, there's no slam dunk players in the draft. Never, there hasn't been. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are certain players that maybe is, you know, maybe fundamentally a little farther along than others. Um, but when they get here, I mean, we have coaches here. That's what they do. And a big part of us getting better for next year is not just adding new players. It's developing what we have. And that's, that's coaching. It's coaching in the off season. You know, coaches aren't just doing scheme X's and O's all day long is developing the players we have. So if you do see a player that you feel like has all the traits you need to project to this level, um, and you feel like he has the work ethic, the mentality, uh, the drive, the desire to be great, then you can work with that and you can develop them. So, um, cause we do have to be careful. Like 
you know, we want to draft good college players, but those college players have to project to pro players. Um, and sometimes there's a difference there. So, um, but that's why we have, you know, coaches to get out there and work with these guys. And, you know, you put together all the traits, see if the work ethic is there, and then you, you roll the dice, see if it works. With tackles, a lot of the top prospects are played the left side. In terms of projecting if a guy can play right tackle, it, is it almost interchangeable now maybe compared to the past, whether they can play left or right? It's funny. It's a good question because I know as, as scouts, it's really easy for me to say, oh, we'll just flip the left, left tackle, right tackle, and then he can go. Or, hey, he's a tackle. We'll just put him a guard. You know, but as a coach, like that, it's, it's some work there. And it's not just a given that a guy can flip from one side to the other. So, um, but yes, there is, there's projections involved. Um, I know for me, the way we play the game nowadays, I mean, both tackles are really left tackles to me. They both have to be really good pass protectors because there's so many good rushers in this league. All the good teams have multiple rushers. They can line up wherever they want. They can line up inside. They can line up outside, left or right. We have to be able to protect that. So, um, but yes, it's, it's discussions about that. So, you know, if a player has only played one position in college, um, can he make that transition to a position that he may play for us? Those are discussions. Um, that's where it's really helpful, where the, where the coach is getting involved really heavily. Uh, and if they think a guy can make that, that move, most guys can. Um, but uh, it's certainly something we just don't gloss over and just say, oh, we'll just flip this guy from left to right and let it roll. I mean, we do a lot of discussions on that. How much collaboration is done between you and the scouting staff in conducting the, the draft board entirely? Yeah, I mean, for the, for the scouts, it's a, it's a 12-month process. You know, it's almost 13 months because I know our guys in the month of April are working on next year's draft as well. They kind of dual roll it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that draft board, that starts going up in, you know, September, and that board's being worked uh, the whole time, the whole year, until we get through February. Um, and then, you know, we, you know, in this process, we do a lot of draft management to move some guys around. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a full-year process with the, with the scouts. We also add in the coaches' opinions. Uh, which is a really big part of the process is as far as uh, how they'll fit our scheme, whether offense or defense. I'm talking about projections from one position to another. Those guys are really good at that as far as being able to uh, give us information there. Um, and then you add in all of the, you know, the medical and the character and the psychological testing we do. It kind of you know, all rolls into one. Tom, you said you're not going to force anything. Um, last year, obviously, Rashawn was someone that you targeted. But exercising patience, what does that look like inside the world? Poker face. Yeah. I mean, you just, you do so much preparation that, you know, once draft day comes, really nothing should surprise you. Now, something could surprise us if a player goes before us that we didn't anticipate, but as far as how would it affect us, it shouldn't, because we should have already talked out, not that specific player, but, you know, where our numbers will be coming down to our picks. So, um, you know, the last you know, two, three weeks, a lot of it's just draft preparation of what could happen and how you would attack it. So if you've gone through those scenarios, it's just like a game day. You know, you practice and prepare well enough. You shouldn't have any pressure on game day. Just go out and execute it. When you're creating the draft board and ranking players, how much do you incorporate positional value in terms of, like, how the organization views certain positions? Like an edge rusher, for example, probably a lot more important than yeah, a linebacker. I, like, how do, how do you guys incorporate that into the board? Yeah, that's usually on the back end of it. Um, we'll get the board up um, from the scouts, kind of more, I wouldn't say vanilla, but without any positional value. Like, our roster's completely empty. You know, we have no players, and let's just put the board up. As we get towards the back end of it, and then I kind of start, you know, moving some guys around based on some of those factors.
and then I always explain to the guys why I've you know, moved some guys around. So, yeah, that's the kind of part two of, a, of the draft board. Tom, this is the uh, FM picks era we're living in now. The what picks? The FM picks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, do, uh, <laughs> I thought you said, F, I thought you said I thought FM. FM radio. Yeah, me too. FM picks. Uh, it took me a second. <laughs> given that and given what the Rams just did, has your, have you moved at all in your, how you value draft, draft, draft picks or no? Uh, I haven't changed, no. Um, I think when people forget about the Rams, I mean, everyone focuses on those first-round picks. I mean, they've drafted and developed players really well, you know, middle and late. So um, it kind of gets glossed over. I guess it's not as, as sexy, but they've done a great job with that, both uh, Les and, uh, and Sean. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, you can, you can go back to draft 20, 30 years. I mean, teams have been trading first-round picks for players for a long time. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's, if there was only one way to build a Super Bowl team, we would all take the exact same path. Um, obviously, the Rams did their path, and it worked great, worked awesome, you know, when they won the Super Bowl. So, um, but uh, I don't think, you know, hasn't really changed the value of that first-round pick, at least for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, they're, you know, they're not the first team to, to do it. They just did it really, really well. Is that model sustainable, though, like relying on hitting on, you know, fourth-round picks, fifth-round picks, sixth-round picks consistently? Because you always say that it's such a crapshoot. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, I guess we'll, we'll find out over time um, how things work. But like I said, there's just so many different ways to build a team um, that, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, they're, they're doing it the right way right now. On um, defense, you guys have made a lot of changes in the free agency. Uh, do you feel like, you know, there, there, there's enough movement there to kind of, We'll get better from last round. I know you were pretty disappointed with the results a year ago, but you feel like you know, adding Khalil Mack and Jason Jackson, or there's something missing that you feel like you want to address? Yeah, I would, I would hope so. Um, I would hope so. Um, you know, all those guys we added, plus the players that we have with another year in this system, um, I'm hoping we take a, you know, a big jump on that side of the ball this year. But the running back group, obviously, Austin, Josh, and Larry, right. just, I know you said at the combine that you know, this is a position that we that we have to address. So like, how are you approaching running back, heading into this draft, and also factoring like, the positional value stuff we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it's two-pronged. We have, you know, we have some running backs here that you know, kind of need to take that next step you know, as part of uh, player development and coaching. And then you know, see where the draft takes us, see where after the draft takes us, you know, just trying to attack it different ways. So um, you know, I know running backs have value in this league. I mean, you need them. You need good ones. You need guys that can do a lot of different things. It's, it's a difficult position to play. Um, but you know, just the way college football is, I mean, there's just a lot of running backs that come out every year. And as we're seeing, a lot of receivers are coming out every year. So, um, so you know, they still have value to us. Um, but, you know, just a matter of, you know, where we're going to place them. And, you know, we only get so many picks. And just trying to attack things through different avenues. But, you know, without forgetting the, the players we have here and, you know, some development and improvement that can be made. This is your tenth tenth draft here. How do you feel like you guys have done in your nine previous years? Yeah, I don't really grade drafts, so I'll leave that up to you. In terms of, I know you said the draft is hit and miss and not an exact science, but you've got only one member from that 2018 draft class still on the roster. When you look at guys going into their fifth year and trying to build a team and keeping your own picks, with a fifth year and having only one one guy on there, is that lower than 
what we've seen throughout the league, or would you? Well, if you take that one year, I would think it would be. Yeah, I think you got to hopefully look at a little bit more broad based than that. But you're right. I mean, you're right. So, um, you know, it, it just seems like the players we hit on, we don't really think about the players we miss on. I'm talking about us. The players we miss on, we just try and figure out, okay, where did we miss? Um, it's a pretty big process we go through. Uh, of, of, you know, what went wrong. Sometimes it was uh, something we maybe didn't see. Sometimes it was something uncontrollable. But in the end, um, it's an inexact science. If we try and make the best decision we can with the information we have, we try and make our probability based, just trying to increase our odds on hitting on a player. Doesn't mean we're going to hit on every player. We understand that. We'd like to hit on more than, than, than that draft class, certainly. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just the way that it is. It's not it's not easy drafting players, but you know we've been we've been you know good some years and some years. It's just hard to tell. It really is. Um, but uh, I like our process. I like the people that are involved with it. We keep everybody. You know, it's a lot of information on a lot of players from a lot of people in this building, not just the scouts. I mean, you're talking about like talking about before, like you know the medical with the doctors and the psychological testing and the security background checks and you know all the sources we talk to across you know across colleges and. Um, you know, you do the best you can with that. Can you do that on Zoom a lot more often now, the medicals and security and maybe talk to a strength coach or an assistant a lot more? I know the area scouts yeah. do a good job of that. Yeah, it's just like picking up the phone. I mean, sometimes you wouldn't need a Zoom, but, uh, yeah, certainly. You know, that's, that's all part of the process. You guys obviously invest in the defensive line and for the interior of the defensive line. Where do you feel like... That group is at obviously adding Austin, Sebastian. You got Jerry, Christian Covington resigned. Just where do you feel like that that group is at? It's good. Yeah, it's good. You know, got some some guys in there, some some big bodies that that, that play hard, that fit what, what we want to do, and um, yeah, excited about it. All right, that was uh, Chargers general manager Tom Telesco talking to the media before the uh, draft begins Thursday. The Chargers again have the seventeenth overall pick. In the uh, draft, the Chargers draft war room will actually be inside of the Chargers locker room at SoFi Stadium. And if you're a fan, you can enjoy the Chargers Fan Fest at SoFi Stadium. Again, the parking lot's open at 10 a.m. The Fan Fest begins at 3 p.m. Snoop Dogg will be there. A special performance by Snoop Dogg. So exciting time for the Chargers. Again, the Rams... Uh, traded all their first-round picks, so they don't have a first-round pick. So the Chargers will pick number 17. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing, currency chasing. Worldwide through the hard times, worrying faces. Shed tears as we bury brothers close to heart. What was a friend, now a ghost in the dark. Hard part about it, brother got smoked by a fiend. Trying to floss on him, blind to a broken man's dreams. A hard lesson, court cases keep him guessing. Bargain ain't an option now, so I'm stressing. Cost me more to be free than a life in the pen. Making money over cuss words like me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.